I don't know about you, but I, I love dedications. I, I enjoy speaking about the child's namesake in the Bible. Well, Luke, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? But Melody's a little bit more challenging. Melody, what, what a beautiful name. And, and we want Melody to have a life that produces a beautiful, wonderful harmonious sound. In Isaiah 51 verse 3, it says, The Lord will comfort Zion. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. And when Becky and I go along to Zion, which is where Mark and Ali live, we do hear the voice of melody. (laughs) The voice of melody singing or talking. And... Paul writing in the first century to Christians in that great city of Ephesus, he writes this, talking to Christians, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, my prayer for melody is that her life would be a melody, not a cacophony. The definition of melody is this. A rhythmical succession of single tones producing a distinct musical phrase or idea that is satisfying. That's good, isn't it? Whereas a cacophony is a mishmash of unpleasant sounds. I don't know if you realise that your life is making a sound that my life is making a sound, and wherever we go, we make a sound. And it's easier for the people to tell us what sound we're making than we sometimes know for ourselves. You know, we meet some people and their words and their lives are like a sweet melody, a sweet music, and and it's a delight to be around them. And then there are others, it's an unpleasant sound, it's a bit like when I walk in front of the speakers with the tie mic on. It goes, ah! The screeching noise and you are ah! There's a stark contrast between melody and cacophony. And just to prove that, I've got a little clip coming up for you to listen to.
you want it to go on? Yeah? Stopped it on purpose because it was a contrast in the, the first like 15 seconds, that's all it was, of cacophony. How many of you wanted it to stop? <laughs> Just stop it! <laughs> and then when you get a beautiful melody, is it? don't stop it. <laughs> Let it carry on. I want to keep listening. Now, I have a body just like Vanessa May. (laughs) Let me rephrase that. Like Vanessa May, I have a body. (laughs) We, We both have a physical body with the ability to play a musical instrument. As as a child, I did for a year or so play the piano. Now, it was pretty low level stuff. But you could make out what I was playing. There actually was a melody there. But you wouldn't pay (laughs) to come and listen to me play. I can guarantee you that. Whereas Vanessa May, on the other hand, people pay. That stadium was absolutely packed, the auditorium. You see, she has music inside of her. She has a melody in her heart. Because I didn't have the melody in my heart, I couldn't get it out of my fingers onto the keys so that you could feel the melody. Paul said, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, we cannot sing a God song unless we have God in our hearts. It's impossible. Before I gave my life to Christ, I couldn't sing a God song. My melody was limited to the natural realm. It wasn't that I couldn't sing a good song. I could sing a good song. But with God, it was raised from the natural to the supernatural. The first time that the God melody rose from my heart was when I was 14 years of age and the night before I'd prayed and I'd asked God to forgive me for going my way, not his way. I'd I'd asked him to come into my heart and cleanse it. And I didn't feel any different actually that night. But the next morning I was walking down the lane to catch the school bus and there was a melody that just rose up from my heart. The melody was peace. It was a deep, supernatural peace. See, supernatural peace isn't based on circumstances. I had walked down that lane hundreds of times to catch the school bus and I had never experienced the melody that I felt that morning because the supernatural peace of God was in my heart. And for the first time, there was something within me which knew it is well with my soul. I didn't put that into words at the time, but I know that that's what was going on. There was something within me that just knew it is well. It is well with my soul. That was the first time I experienced the melody. And the more I have given of my life to God, the more the melody increases. And when I walk away from God, the melody decreases. The first time that I experienced a melody at a whole new level 
was when I opened up my life to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I gave all of me in that moment to God and asked him to come and fill me with his Holy Spirit. At that time, I was a farmer, and uh, I loved cattle. I loved working with cattle. But we also had 6,000 pigs on the farm. And I wasn't interested in the pigs, and, but occasionally I had to look after them because of what was going on in the farm, and it was harvest time, and so it was my duty to get involved. And Have you ever driven past a pig farm and thought, what a pong? <laughs> have you? They have a distinct smell. Well, imagine being at the epicenter of that smell, <laughs> which is what my job was on that day. I was going into the pig pens on this hot Midsummer's day, and I was scraping their slurry down the slats into the tank below. That was the job that I had that afternoon. I didn't whinge. I didn't whine. Because the night before, God had filled me with his spirit. And there was a melody of joy that was just flowing. And I was singing at the top of my voice as I was doing the worst job on the farm. Supernatural. And let me tell you, that was supernatural. (laughs) That was not normal. Because there was a God song in my heart, God's supernatural joy flowed from my heart and out of my mouth. So I said earlier, before I had God in my life, I could sing an okay song, because... After all, I was created in the image of God. And and if you don't know God yet, you can sing an okay song. At best. At worst, we make a bad sound. Paul writing to the Corinthians at Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, he spoke to them basically about there's two songs that you can sing. There's the me song of the old sinful nature, or there's the God song of life with God's spirit flowing from you. And I'm going to read a description of the me song and the God song. Paul says, so I say, live by the spirit. Sorry, I've started to eye up. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. The me song. Sexual immorality impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the God song, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What a, a contrast between the me song and the God song. The me song, we won't go into all of it, but basically starts by saying, you know, I can have sex with whoever I want to, whenever I want it. I should have what I want, what you've got, I'll have it because I deserve it. If I want to get drunk, I will do. 
And if you suffer as a result of that, then tough, get over it. That's the miso. You know, the me song is, I will do what I want. And it's often a painful song to hear, isn't it? Every single one of us in this room has been on the end of that song in some way or other. Every single one of us has been hurt by a me song from someone else. But the sad reality is, all of us have also sung a me song and hurt others. There have been times in our lives when we have sung a bad song. Even starts as a baby, doesn't it? How much consideration does a baby have for its mum? <laughs> you know, mum, I'll let you have a really good night's sleep tonight, and I'll just stay here in my pooey nappy, and I'll be quiet. I'll be self-controlled. I love you. Heard of, ever heard of a baby like that? That's how we start, isn't it? (laughs) And we start how we mean to go on, singing our me song. See, our song comes from our heart. And only God can cleanse the heart. Only God can touch the heart. Only God can give a melody, a new song, a God song from the heart. Only God can put that supernatural joy and peace and love and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control at a God level. You know, I pray that as little (laughs) Melody opens her heart to God, that she would know that love and that joy and that peace and all those wonderful notes that are divine that come from God and that she would be a wonderful magnet that others would be drawn to her because they see God's divine melody in her heart and in her life. Building people up, not pulling them down. Encouraging people, not destroying them. A beautiful God song. Let's turn to Luke, a little bit shorter. Luke, well, his life, as we read the Bible, was a beautiful melody. It was a God song. He produced a true sound, a courageous sound, and a compassionate sound. He was an incredible communicator. You know, the very different types of communicators... There is the comedian who who tells the story and he sees the funny side of everyday life. And uh, an example of that is Michael McIntyre. And I like the way he takes everyday life and and, and tells it. So I've got a a little clip here of him talking about British people on holiday. I want you to know, when I discuss holidays with you, that I I love being here. I love living here. I love British people. I am a British person. I would live nowhere else. I live amongst you. I love you. I'm looking at your little British faces and I want you to know that I love you. But when I'm on holiday, I really hate you. I don't know what it is. 
British people, they just make me cringe on holiday. Just, it's all, we're so whiny, aren't we? Dave, Dave, you see my other flip-flop, Dave. You're just dying inside. With your flip-flop, you had it last. I mean, where'd you see your last flip-flop? You know that foreigners are having exactly the same conversations. It just sounds so much better coming from them. Davido, come la vale la flipoflopo? E la flipoflopa Maria sonella tutto flipoflopo? I tell them there's something about foreigners. They just look so much better as well. You know, they're oiled up. They always have perfect tans and or slick black hair. And they, they get fatter better than us. But even the big fat ones look quite cool. You know, they balloon fat. They've got skinny legs and little speedos and huge big legs wandering around. Maria, la flipoplopo con la mare! British people, we sunbathe like we've been shot. We're just normal. And swimming as well. When you get too hot, you need to swim. That's what happens on holiday. I've seen it happen to foreigners. They get too hot, they get up. They dive in, and then they do, you know, like a front crawl. Ciao. 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 British people, they get up. What a palaver. They have to announce it to the whole group. I'm going in. You're going in? Yeah, I'm going in. Dad's going in. Yeah, I'm going in. What's it like? I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Feel the water. It's always oh, freezing. What's it like, Dad? Freezing. This is where there'll be a British person already in the pool who will offer advice. This is the same advice that we have received every single time we swim in the past and will receive every single time we swim in the future. But it's advice that means literally nothing to us at this moment. That is that it is all right once you're in. But it means nothing. You're standing there going, it's freezing. There'll be someone in the pool going, just get in. Just get in. It's all right once you're in. Yeah, it's actually quite warm in here. Just get in, man. I was like you, but look at me now. You don't believe a word of it. Oh, it's freezing. You give yourself maximum pain. You take it one stair at a time, the water rising. Just <laughs> 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 just stand there for 20 minutes. People <laughs> 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 are standing right next to you. Just get in. It's all right. It's in. Sooner or later, you just launch yourself. <gasps> <gasps> it only takes about three strokes before you make your announcement to the pool. <gasps> it's all right once you're in. <laughs> You know, Michael McIntyre is very, very funny. But if you wanted somebody to communicate accurately about British holidaymakers abroad, you wouldn't go to Michael McIntyre, would you? Yeah, somebody's not in the head. <laughs> His purpose is about making you laugh. It's the whole point of what he does. Luke, on the other hand, is a scientist. He is a doctor. He is interested in facts, in accurate records, in first eye witnesses. 
Luke would never have said, I have a body like Vanessa May. He wouldn't. Because he's not trying to make you laugh. He would make it clear and precise in communicating with you. A clear, unmistakable communication of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He wrote two books that we have in our Bible. One is Luke, and the other is Acts. And I'm going to read from the very beginning of Luke. So that's Luke chapter 1, just the first four verses, to show you what was in his mind. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. See what Luke's doing? Luke is saying, the song that I'm singing is one that is true. It is a note of truth. A sound that comes from Luke is so clear. He writes as an educated man. The, the, the form of Greek that he used is a polished form of Greek. One of the examples of this is when he describes the account of a shipwreck in Malta when he was a travelling companion with Paul. And it has been acclaimed as one of the masterpieces of literature in the ancient world. When Luke describes things, he describes them in greater detail than the other gospel writers. For example, Mark describing Peter's mother-in-law's fever, he just says, having a fever. Whereas Luke uses a medical term which means high fever. You know, Michael McIntyre is trying to strike a chord of laughter in his audience. Luke is trying to strike a chord of reasoning and a chord of revelation. It's not only accurate, it's not only true, but what he is writing about is supernatural. It is God at work. God has revealed himself on planet earth in the person of Jesus Christ, and he has performed miracles. And Luke records lots of different healings. For example, he records in detail the healing of a man who had leprosy. Now, leprosy in those days was greatly feared because it was an incurable disease. He carefully records an example of a funeral. He stops, Jesus stops this funeral procession and he reaches in to the um, coffin and he touches the boy and he raises him back to life. This is a doctor writing this. This is true. And Luke goes on to show the compassion of Jesus 
This was a widow who had no means of looking after herself, no financial ability to go to the state and get money. She relied on this boy. And that heart of compassion and the power of God and a miracle happened. It's really interesting in Luke Luke because of his background. Luke was a foreigner. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't brought up with all this religious stuff. He was a Gentile. He was a Greek. And his background is one of education and his occupation as a doctor. Shout to us, sit up and take notice. This isn't some flaky religious nut. This is a very sober-minded, rigorous intellectual. And this student of the evidence is so convinced that Jesus Christ is God, God the Son, the Saviour of the world, that his life demonstrates a conviction to that truth. How? Well, it's the next note that he sounds. He is courageous. The note of courage that Luke sounds is so strong and so clear. Luke was one of Paul's team. Now, Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles. So he was with them in Philippi and Jerusalem and Caesarea and Philippi. And during the time that Paul was in Caesarea and Philippi, he was under arrest. He was a prisoner. He was near the end of his life. He was awaiting martyrdom. And Paul writes in one of his letters to Timothy, the last letter to Timothy, and he says this, only Luke is with me. On death row, only Luke is with me. What a man of courage. What a man of courage Luke was. A team player, not a quitter. Paul was about to be martyred for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And there is Luke at the heart of it. Luke wrote in Acts 4 verse 12 from the sermon of Peter that salvation is found in no one else other than Jesus Christ. You know, Luke so believed that that he didn't care whether he gave his life for that. Luke was so passionate that Jesus is the only saviour, that there is no other way to God, that he was prepared to die defending that truth. No compromise in the message. He sounds the note of truth. He sounds the note of courage. And lastly, he sounds the note of compassion. Luke writes about encounters with Jesus that the other writers don't write about. He writes about encounters with outcasts, with the poor, with foreigners, with women. Some of those accounts are just in Luke. He also writes parables that the others don't write about. He writes about the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. Both stories show compassion. Luke like his Lord, was full of compassion. Paul, writing to the 
church at Colossae from prison refers to Luke as the beloved physician. What a beautiful title. The beloved physician. He is a compassionate doctor. He's got a good bedside manner. His patients love him. You know, my prayer for little Luke is that he would make the same melody as Dr. Luke. That he would make a true sound, a courageous sound, and a compassionate sound.